This is, of course, part of a larger project uh, that looks at how partition transforms film practice in the subcontinent. And I basically look at how this, these two formerly intimate colonial cities, Bombay and Lahore, are kind of in, disentangled through partition. And uh, one of, I mean, I follow several artists during this time, but one person uh, who I do at length is Meena Shori. And she is an actress who's active in the 40s and 50s um, and until early 60s. And um, she became famous as this Lara Lappa girl for a song that she did um, uh, in the late 40s in Bombay. And I'll begin with that song and then begin, I mean, start with the presentation after this. So this is a song that made her extremely popular. Yeah. Oh, everything has to be pushed like that. That's fine. So that's Meena Shori. Sometime in the early 80s, Pakistan's popular television talk show, Silver Jubilee, featured a film star of yesteryear, Meena Shori. A videotaped recording of the interview survives, a mere 34-second clip on YouTube, in which a silver-haired Meena in advanced age, and by most accounts, a penurious state, croons Lara Lappa, Lara Lappa, to a TV studio audience. Three decades after migrating to Pakistan and appearing in more than a dozen films there, Meena chose an iconic song from an Indian film that first launched her into the comedian star Orbit. After a trepid start, her lilting voice, swaying head and sideways clap confirm that indeed the drawl queen of 1950s Hindi Indian film was addressing the Pakistan TV audiences of the 1980s. And this is All right, it's not playing, so we go ahead. I'll try retrieving it later. Uh, drawing on original archival material, this paper seeks to establish linkages between a historic trauma and physical comedy through the performance and star biography of a comedian. In doing so, it hopes to complicate two areas of feminist scholarship. The first are the landmark interventions in South Asian historiography that make women's subjective experience of the partition their central concern. And I'm talking about Urvashi Bhutalia's and Ritu Menon and uh, Kamala Bhasin's work here. Uh, the second area of scholarship, more influential and Eurocentric, has been built on identifying the threat posed by female laughter and comic performances in popular culture to patriarchal structures. This paper also offers a critical counterpoint 
to the ruling paradigm of existing scholarship in South Asian films, which has confined the examination of partition within the dramatic register of mourning, silence, and repression. Since movement and Kemulianic adaptation are central to Meena Shori's professional trajectory and star persona, any account of her career demands a similarly adroit movement between cities and nations, communities and regions, the personal and the cinematic. Beginning her career in colonial India, working in both Bombay and Lahore, Meena became famous for her eccentric roles in the romantic comedies produced by her husband, collaborator and refugee filmmaker Roop Shori in independent India. Privileging an unconventional female star, the Shori comedies emerged as a striking cultural negotiation of a historical experience that was grim and gendered. While the professional and conjugal relationship of a Hindu Roop and a Muslim Meena was remarkable for its disruption of communal boundaries, it did not go unscathed from the erosion of social relations between Hindus, Muslims and Sikhs, which went into the making of the new nation-states after the partition. And uh, fashioned into custodians of communal identity and national honor during a long anti-colonial struggle, women were targets of concentrated violence that communities visited upon each other during the Indian partition. In existence for two decades now, the women's history of partition has drawn attention to the ways in which women's sexuality, uh, as it had been violated by abduction, transgressed by enforced conversion, and exploited by impermissible cohabitation, emerged uh, at the center of debates around national honor, identity, and citizenship in secular and democratic India. And I'm drawing on um, Menon Bhasin's work here. And abduction in particular had a material, symbolic, and political significance, which as a retaliatory measure signified an assertion of identity and the humiliation of the rival community by appropriation of its women. These acts caused state operations of citizen recovery on both sides, during which nearly 30,000 women were recovered and returned to their families and home. And these, of course, families and homes were defined in terms of religious identity and often against the wishes of the women being recovered. These bore consequences not only for the citizens of each country, but also informed the national self-image as the recovery propaganda of government of India, especially, discursively cast Pakistan as the abductor country and by associative contrast, reserved for itself the role of parent protector. In an attempt to recuperate her voice in partition, feminist writer Urvashi Butalia encounters the layers of silence that congealed into histories of shame. Occasionally, popular culture would expose these hidden histories of partition. The film Lahore, made in 1949, uh, set in the aftermath of partition, narrates the story of star-crossed lovers Lilo and Chaman separated in the violence. Chaman makes an arduous journey to Lahore to recover Lilo from her Muslim abductor, and overcoming societal taboos, the two reunite. Lahore's narrative progression is consistent with the efforts in publicity undertaken by the Indian state to rehabilitate uh, recovered women in the face of their social ignominy and rejection. Relief work pamphlets at this time also aimed at dispelling traditional notions of purity and defilement, drawing parallels with the mythological epic Ramayan, in which the suffering Sita undergoes trial by fire on her return from Lanka. Around the same time, in late 1949, Prithvi Theatre, a private theatre group with a widespread public appeal, performed Ahuti, or sacrificial offering, didactically bringing forth the stigma and isolation that abducted women faced 
once restored to their family and society. Uh, and so throughout its long unfolding, the partition then yielded a complex figure of the abducted woman, appearing in state records, refugee camps, and contemporary literature. And she becomes symbolic of crossing borders, of violating social, cultural, and political boundaries. Now, the first of the Shori comedies appears at this time, you know, just at the same time as um, Prithvi theatre performances and these recovery efforts. And this first film was, um, their first film, well, their first comedy was Ek Thi Larki. Uh, at, and I argue that so Shori comedies are predominantly determined by the figure of the abducted woman, adapting this trope to explore the possibility of feminine liberation and dissent through the laughter-inducing abandon of the female comic lead, pushing further the progressive impulse of screwball comedies through companionate romances and the unconventional heroines, uh, the chaotic, the um, Shori comedies radically repurpose a familiar and piteous partition figure into the chaotic screwball heroine and extend a cinematic recovery, <coughs> unrecognizable from the archetypal suffering and passive abducted woman, the Shori rendition moves away from considerations of chastity and defilement, but into a world that is nonetheless dangerous, providing an occasion for adventure and an array of thrills. Could the creative inflections of Shori comedies offer echoes for feminist scholarship to recover her voice in partition history? If Joan Scott oh. suggests that women acquire intelligibility when the historian attributes significance to what she has been able to hear, then this piece picks up on the reverberations in Meena Shori's performance and persona that speak of women and partition. And here, I position comedy as a highly expressive regime that complicated respectable nationalist modes and bespoke women's resistance. Uh, actress Shori's, Meena Shori's memoir, which was published in Pakistan in 1986, narrates her humble beginnings a steady rise, personal setbacks, and finally relegation to obscurity. A fascinating archive of the actress's multiple identities and improbable life. She conducted a 25-year-long career across three political formations, British India, Independent India, and Pakistan. The memoir is striking in what it chooses to reveal and withhold. Three marriages are discussed at length, whereas other two are not mentioned at all. Similarly, there is a silence surrounding the two children she adopted with Roop Shori and their subsequent fate after her migration to Pakistan. So when she leaves for Pakistan, Roop Shori uh, leaves with her to make a film uh, in Karachi, but then he has to come back and she stays on in Pakistan. However, the most confounding of Meena's omissions is any reference to the droll queen's comic talents, which was central to her stardom. There are references to her beauty and popularity, but rarely is there a self-recognition of her innate ability to perform comic routines. Born as Khushid Jaha in the mid-1920s, Meena received her stage name when she joined the major league studio Minerva Movie Tone in Bombay. And this was 1940. Meena's early appearances were in historical romances, such as Sikandar, Alexander the Great, 1941, and Prithvi Vallabh, 1942. And it was a year after these two films, uh, after 1942, that Meena decided to make a shift. Finding her options limited by a stifling studio contract with Minerva, she left Bombay for Lahore in the mid-40s. This was preceded by a court case she filed against Sohrab Modi, Minerva's holder who allegedly exploited her lack of education and failed to make explicit the terms of the contract. 
belonging to an economically hard up family from provincial Punjab and yet to come of legal age at the time of entering employment, Meena's chances to negotiate a fair contract were even slimmer than the leading actresses of pre-independence India. In her study of Shanta Apte's infamous hunger strike, Nipa Majumda reads the actress's desire to break the studio contract and revive a flagging career by going elsewhere. For Meena, as recounted in her memoir, moving from Bombay to Lahore was a strategy to escape the control of a studio, impeding her professional growth. By the same token, Meena would cast aside considerations of communal and national belongings by moving away from West Punjab and what would become a nation for Muslims of the subcontinent in order to ensure her employability. In the summer of 1947, when film production came to a standstill in a volatile Lahore, Meena came to Bombay and acted in films like Actress and Dukhiari, The Pitiable Woman, with independent producers in the city. So, the Punjabi film Chaman was Roop and Meena's first collaboration in independent India. Though the hero of the film was reserved to the title role, Meena insists in her memoir on staking out a more prominent role for herself, not as an actress, but one, but as one intimately involved in production decisions. On her suggestion, a low-priced hero, Karan Devan, uh, was cast as the lead. Set in Lahore, Chaman portrayed um, electoral rivalries in a fledgling democratic context. Meena appeared as a Punjabi girl who is out to avenge her father's humiliating defeat in local elections, but ends up falling in love with the electoral rival. Chaman's success set into motion the production of Roop and Meena's most enduring Ekthi Larki, Once There Was a Girl, 1949, followed by Dholak, Drumbeats, Ek Do Teen, 1, 2, 3, Akka Darya, River of Fire, 1953, and Jalwa, Luster, 1955. Produced under the banner of Shori Art Productions, these films were often described in the reviews as noisy stunt comedies, fast entertainers, and slapstick. And unlike her contemporaries in India and Pakistan, Meena successfully merged the romantic heroine and the comedian in her persona. And her performance was often deemed as excessive, earning at times very qualified appraisals like, uh, she has interpreted the role fairly well, but her performance lacks restraint. At moments, the audience wishes there was someone to check her a bit. So there are all these appraisals that are coming in. Apart from acting in her husband in husband Shori's productions, Meena appeared in similar roles in other, you know, films by other filmmakers, and also worked as the associate producer on Ek Do Teen and Mukra. When Meena, when Meena married Shori, she converted to Hinduism and took on an additional name and became Kiran Shori in her off-screen public life. In the actress's life narrative, her personal and professional collaboration with Roop was underpinned by the refugee filmmakers' losses during partition and her subsequent attempts to replicate their pre-partition Lahore success in post-partition Bombay. The claims made in her memoir resonate with the tongue-in-cheek gossip published in the monthly journal Film India in the early 1950, which also suggests a motivation behind Meena's decision to marry Roop. And I quote Film India here, Meena, the Pakistan-born Muslim actress, is reported to be doing better refugee work than the government of India. They say that she earns a lot of money doing hard work and with it helps a refugee producer to produce pictures and to relax when he's tired. Even as the description Pakistan-born, 
bears the markings of film india's intentional anachronisms it must be read in conjunction with the domicile and birth criteria of indian citizenship introduced in late 1949 in her work on the bureaucratic processes of partition wazira zamindar observes that the citizenship of women became contingent on the location of their fathers and husbands with meena's father and her last husband raza mir living in pakistan her employment in the bombay film industry was dependent on an indian citizenship the marriage to indian rupe would have foiled the obstructions generated by partition for a <coughs> pakistan born meena wishing to work in bombay in 1956 when meena decided to defect to pakistan defect in quotes uh, she reconverted to islam and was renamed khurshid jahan her decision to serve the pakistani film industry appeared alongside news of her separation from shori that meena's transgressions which included multiple husbands and shifts in communal belonging could only be absolved by enacting a recovery similar to what the paternalistic states of india and pakistan had done in the case of abducted women mandated that her marriage with rupe be portrayed as lacking consent a pakistan film magazine in 1956 likened her to a hostage um claiming that the actress had wished to terminate the marriage years earlier though this is not corroborated in meena's memoir she explicitly states her unease at remaining in india as a hindu forever nevertheless she's unequivocal about shori's liberal cosmopolitanism and both their general indifference to their respective fates the dilly dallying between film cities of the subcontinent which continued for meena shori even after 1947 suggests a response to an important to an important partition question do women have a country and while these oscillations are underpinned by the precariousness of belonging and identity they emerge from an actress's labor pursuits conditional on an unequal citizenship uh now meena shori's rather public religious conversions and marriage to filmmaker roop shori work up historical anxieties akin to those by the figure akin to those by the figure of the abducted woman it is absurd but easy to misconstrue this argument as collapse as, as collapsing the collaborative relationship shared by the actress and the producer director with one that involves force that of an abducted woman and her abductors what i am arguing here has to do with the collective anxieties that were and continue to be activated in the transgressions that lie at the heart of meena shori star persona turning the figure of the abducted woman on its head by proactively crossing national and communal boundaries meena star biography annotates a performance in the comic trilogy ek thi ladki dholak and ek do teen as the recovered woman it is the play between the on screen and the off screen that makes discernible the resuscitation the resuscitation of a partition figure associated with collective honor and shame into what kathleen rao um identifies as the unruly woman who creates humor and spectacle and this resuscitation is orchestrated by fashioning the unruly woman as the runaway girl so uh this is a publicity still from ek thi ladki with a full shot of meena shori carrying the tagline here is the runaway girl who creates history in kashmir and the hold of the runaway girl on meena's persona would go beyond ek thi ladki 
on display through the trilogy, capturing a willful mobility and disregard for societal discipline. Most acutely, it's resurfaced when Meena decided to move to Pakistan in 1956. Um, born as a Muslim in West Punjab, which now lies in Pakistan, the, the actress's decision to trade national location was popularly regarded as a return of the prodigal daughter in Pakistan. Whichever vantage point one might choose to look at Meena's migration, either as a defection or return, it could not escape being made historically intelligible through the disreputable, if piteous, figure of the abducted, recovered woman. Listening closely to women's story from partition, a transference between the figures of the abducted woman and the runaway girl presents itself. The abducted woman, escaping or colluding with her captors, could become a runaway girl. While on the other hand, a runaway girl, by rejecting familiar and patriarchal pr protection, could elicit anxieties no different from that of an abducted woman. An Urvashi Bhutali in her work offers the instance of Satya, the woman who was taught to ride a horse and carry a rifle by her captors during the partition violence and joined a gang of decoits. Extremely resistant to being recovered by the Indian state after partition, Satya did not fail to direct her ven venom towards Damyanti Segal, the woman who had led the Indian rescue team in Pakistan. Moving to actual instances of being on the run in the film, Meena decamps several times in Ekthi Larki. The opening scene has her tiptoe away from her rented accommodation before her landlady catches her. Soon after, she flees the job interview room after finding her prospective employer unresponsive and dead. The third and fourth instances are her escape from a team of con artists in hotels. The fifth is her attempt to leave her fiancé, Ranjit, to avoid rev rel revelations about her past, including her brief collaboration with her captors, coming to the fore. Finally, she leaves on her wedding day, nearly becoming a runaway bride, but this time she is the pursuer, chasing the con artists across Dull Lake in Srinagar, who speed away with the jewels of the wedding guests. Retrieving the valuables and her freedom, Meena returns to Kashmir to tie the knot. Playing out the climactic chase sequence in a territory which has often been referred to as the unfinished business of partition and also the territory of desire, uh, as Ananya Jahara Kabir um, calls it, uh, Ekthi Larki represented the refugee film team's realignment with new national aspiration. Uh, the film makes a proprietorial claim on behalf of India over the disputed territory by bringing Kashmir to the screen in form in a form akin to a tourist documentary, yet in contrast to the touristic gaze of the camera, which anticipates the later fetishized representations of Kashmir in Hindi cinema, is Meena's risable escapade on a speedboat. So, uh, hopefully this will play.
While a seasoned steersman gets toppled into water, Mina's success confirms an instinctive knowledge of the enemy and a flair to negotiate symbolically charged sites of rival claims, such as Kashmir, but also the matter of women's bodies. The anxieties around the abduction and rescue of women are also evident early on in the film Ek Do Teen, Ek Do Teen or One, Two, Three. And here, um, an unconscious Roma, played by Meena, is rescued by the rich heir Moti, Moti Lal, and his merry friend Hira Lal from petty robbers and brought to Moti's palatial house. As the two men wonder what to do next, Moti's disciplinarian father appears and is disconcerted to see a young woman in his house late at night. And what follows are this kind of an exchange between the father and son where the father thinks that his son has abducted a woman. Um, and there's a quick exchange between these three men, and that kind of progresses on the double entendre. Um, and there's a power to this absurd discussion, which makes rescue look like abduction. Even the family doctor summoned to check on the unconscious woman is skeptical of the rescue operation. The farcical confusion over Moti's intentions continues until class privilege comes to his rescue, and his policeman friend declares him an honorable man. The narrative premises of the previous films of the trilogy, uh, where benefactors and protectors are cast in the dubious light of predators, also sustain such an ambiguity. In Ekthi Larki, on the pretext of protecting her, the con artist Sohan Mohan trick Meena into joining their operations. In Dholak, the aging Rai Sahab, who underwrites her college education, hopes to recover his investment by coercing the indebted family into marrying Mona to him. And this unruly heroine of Shori films, constituted partly as a nod to male desire, also threatened to uphold to upturn the world with selective marshalling of the grotesque. The threat in her ability to negotiate modern technology and innovations without prior training is offset by her lack of ladylike composure and the deployment of the grotesque, in this case Mina's girth, which erupts to elicit laughter. A source of pleasure and ridicule alike, Mina's large body critical to her performance, is vindicated at occasions of peril and passion alike. However, each film in the trilogy carries an exception to this rule. Uh, in Ek Thi Larki, the first film in the trilogy, Meena flees a murder scene and is abducted by the con artists rescued oblique abducted. In Dholak, she is abducted on the beast gone berserk, uh, a horse. Uh, in Ek Do Teen, after a combative fight with the robbers handling two at a time, Roma faints at the sight of the knife and is brought home by Moti. Do we have time? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Good night. So that's when the hero star comes in.
That's actor Motilal who used to appear a lot with Meena. So this is that scene when Motilal is carrying Meena. I'll come back to it. And that's where the confusion begins whether she's been abducted or rescued. <clears throat> These occasions when Meena's when Meena loses her otherwise robust energy might suggest the traumatic origins of a madcap persona. This is not to claim that these are moments of rupture or contradictions in otherwise seamlessly brave characters. Artfully dodging her pursuers, steering motorboats, skating, driving atypical automobiles, Meena's active control is marked by vulnerability and the inadvertent. These nervous energies within her bravado, including the exceptions enlisted above, reveal an unruly personality as a response to duress. And an important feature of Meena's comic routines are the layers of performance involved in negotiating unfavorable situations and entanglements. These are distinctive in striking or entering into a pact with the audience by creating a knowledge field inaccessible to the rest of the characters in the narrative. Having struck this relationship with the audience, these films and the female protagonist in particular are enabled by the simple and in context of rigid hierarchies, subversive pleasure of laughing behind someone's back and pulling faces when no one is looking. In Ekthi Larki, Meena enters Ranjit's office while dodging the con team who are out to entrap her in a murder. There, she's mistaken for a job seeker and instantly hired. The comic diversion in her perfunctory sentences and unfinished gestures during the verbal exchange with Ranjit emerges from the audience's knowledge of what has recently transpired, what Meena is capable of and what is concealed from Ranjit. The pleasure ensues from the audience's knowledge of understanding Meena better than any of the characters within the narrative and thus watching her perform to them. This repeats when Ranjit and his fiancée leave the office and Meena mimics her. Her cautious and deferential act in front of the new employer is dropped instantly and the office girls discover a mischief maker in their midst. When she sleeps on top of the office table, her employers see it as a quirkiness. But as a woman pursued and one whose accommodation in the city is precarious, Meena's idiosyncrasies are geared towards self-preservation. From the sly smile that comes to her face upon spotting an advertisement for servants or the all-knowing blush that appears on her face in um, Dholak after she banishes Manohar from the room, the subjective alignment is with the female protagonist of sh Shori comedies. While in Ekthi Larki and Dholak, this alignment is obviously discernible, in Ekdo Teen, there's a dramatic shift in the subjectivity. Moti, who has been testing his father's adages, carries the game too far and finds himself accused of murder. Until this time, the audience's knowledge of Moti's game would subjectively align them with him, but this changes once Moti is imprisoned and sentenced to death. The plot then depends on Roma, played by Meena, on Roma's perseverance to bring back the friend believed to be dead and save Moti from the gallows. The two men, Moti and Hiralal, and by extension Moti's father, who until the fake murder had known better, are thrown headlong into chaos and incomprehension until Roma maneuvers everyone out of the crisis. 
If in Dholak, Meena escapes the fate of marrying the absurd and aging Rai Sahab who lives by his late father's adages, in Ek Do Teen she finds herself in Moti's house where his business tycoon father wields considerable influence. Ek Do Teen can be read as the what if of Dholak. What if Mona had been coerced into a, into matrimony with Rai Sahab? The film proceeds around the last three counsels given to a son by his father on the deathbed. As Moti puts his father's conservative and misogynist homilies to the test, Meena runs amok to save her fiance an impending wedding. <coughs> and here she's trying to save Moti, so she she's trying to reach a place on time. I think this wouldn't play either. So I leave that. Uh, Okay, we'll try and find it online if we can. Um, now, characteristic of Meena Shori's performance was her earthiness, located regionally as Punjabiyat, but also in her hardy body. Verging on the boorish, her encounters with modern institutions and technology assumed a Chaplinesque reversion inflicted by a regional archetype, which offered solace along with comic relief. Her percussive hand tapping on office tables in Lara Lappa Lara Lappa, the song forever linked with Meena, offered a familiar cultural resonance and rhythm to the impersonal conventions of the workplace that ordinary women in Shori films had to negotiate. In particular, such a negotiation speaks of the large number of women released into the workforce as a result of mass destitution and displacement of partition. While expanding the possibilities of existence in a changing world, her image nonetheless kept close the conditions of her origins in rural Punjab, a region torn apart by partition violence and boundary formation. Simultaneously, the humour created by these encounters constitute a jibe at colonial modernity and the inspired, if laughable, negotiation by the native woman. In Ekthi Larki, on being instructed to write in shorthand, Meena proceeds to sketch out the contents of a dictated letter. Hiding this improvised shorthand from her boss, she moves on to transcribe the letter on a typewriter, an unfamiliar machine that causes her to jump at the, lounge, at the loud shifting motion of the keys. However, her unfamiliarity with the shorthand and the typewriter does not prevent the newly employed secretary from finishing the task, and her eccentricity breaks the tedium of the office routine. In Dholak, while playing table tennis in the students' leisure room, Mona delivers three sideways <coughs> but well-aimed blows at a competitor in love, hitting her hard on the head with a ping-pong ball. And we'll watch this clip. It's one of my favorites, actually. So um, the dialogues are not very important here. It's mostly physical comedy, but I'll also translate it after this. She has a good aim.
Sitting far away from the spot of the sport, the competitor rightly complains of being hit on purpose. Mona, however, blames it on the Angrezi Khel or the English game, where a stray hand could cause unintended damage. While her cheeky explanation suggests a distance and cultural unfamiliarity with the recreational activity, which could also refer to modern courtship, her bull's eye aim shows her to be actually in control. In Ek Do Teen, Roma drives a bus, a tractor and a rail push trolley to reach her destination. Failing to apply brakes, driving in reverse and hurtling down a slope to steer the trolley alone, Roma's instincts run contrary to safety principles of automobile technology. <laughs> Yet she reaches her destination safely and in time, trumping frugal innovation and quick thinking over regulated usage and procedures of modern technology. Accommodating the woman who has been dislocated from her home in a traditional and regionalized rural landscape to meet the demands of a modernizing and cosmopolitan urban climate, the Shori comedies provide a sympathetic home for the transgressive woman. The restrictions on the depiction of sex along with the social conservatism of popular Hindi films meant that the Shori comedies, like the American screwball comedy, conveyed more by implication than portrayal. The boss secretary team of Ek Thi Larki find themselves in a public park with nowhere to go. As it begins to rain, Meena crawls underneath a small bench, asking Ranjit, her boss, to follow her. Dropping his initial reservations, Ranjit joins Meena with a suggestive declaration. Looks like today we'll have to be wild. While outwardly the narrative maintains sexual distance between the two, a critical exchange a day later reveals what may have transpired. On learning that they are to share a room, Ranjit attempts to cast aside any ensuing anxieties. And he says, As it is, I will be out the entire day. Meena says, Yes, similarly, I will be out the entire night. This accidental admission of her nocturnal excursions elicits a raised eyebrow from Ranjit, who knows only too well having spent the night squeezing underneath a bench with an amply proportioned Meena. And Meena's overweight body was eloquent with possibilities where a potential Im impediment of the avoirdupois pause was accompli uh, accomplished pleasures, both conventional and otherwise. The comments on Meena's weight made their way into film reviews as well, though these did not always pretend to be desirable. And some of these line, I mean, reviews were like, Meena looks fat and repulsive though her performance is quite lively. Meena as Mona supplies, the production, supplies half the production value with her face and flesh. She is the full meal for the non-vegetarians in romance. The picture gets half its spring from Meena's round face and round figure. There's another one that says, we wish we had more orphans with, we wish we had more such orphans with Meena's upholstery and costumes. So they're all these things that are there in film India all the time. Um, an article in Filmfare on the star pair of Motilal Meena, who appeared together in Ek Thi Ladki, Ek Do Teen and Srinakad Narayan, 
attributed their comic chemistry to being physically unevenly matched, a nod to the common humor around a fat woman and a frail beau. The cartoons that began appearing regularly in Film India since 1950 were fixated on her bulk and took special delight in churning new epithets for the actress like Maiden or Mountain, Glamour Balloon, A Bag of Weed from Punjab. And some of these may well have been publicity inserts anticipating comedies under production. Um, there were at least two instances of her body and its deployment in Shori comedies that reportedly created medical emergencies for her co-actors. So apparently somebody got knocked out because of a blow they received during a shoot. Another person dislocated their shoulder after carrying her around. Uh, and this was for um, the scene with Motilal, which we saw where he carried her. Um, the film presented a diegetic response to this news, with Meena scooping Motilal off the office table in a song sequence. Off screen too, Meena would continue her gender-inverting gender capers in a charity cricket match, where she lifted Motilal and ran off the field, reportedly eliciting a loud roar of laughter from the crowds. So, uh, that's a cartoon from Film India. You can see there's Meena there, and Motilal is saying, Oh God, made in a mountain. Um, so those cartoons would often appear. And this is the thing with the cricket field where she ran off with Motilal. Central to her appeal and comedic talents, Meena's bodily combat was not limited to her male co-stars, but included women as well. One such instance was a telling cartoon of Meena wrestling with Begum Para, with director Shori issuing instructions from the ringside. An, un an unexceptional trope of humour, there are plenty of instances of cross-dressing, camp and erotic polysemy in Meena's films. In Ekthi Larki, the song Bin Marzi Ki Shadi Hamko Mar Gai, A Marriage Without Choice Did Us In, is a duet between a cross-dressed couple. A man plays the wife while a woman plays the husband, singing their incompatibility dilemmas. In Dholak, the three male trustees at the first school, while insisting on recruiting only heterosexual married couples, are evidently single themselves, with a touch of camp to their performances. In a puerile contrast, Headmaster Anand and Lady Teacher Krishna at the other school have a strict policy of hiring singletons, only to romantically pursue them. Here, Mona and Manohar attempt to save each other from the unrequited advances of their employers. Their frantic efforts prove to be successful when on a moonless night, all four gather on a park bench and unwittingly pair up as a same-sex couple, two men and two women holding hands. Films other than the Shori trilogy, starring Meena, also offer instances of gender-bending. The synopsis of the non-extent film Nakad Narayan does not fail to mention Meena's disguise as a Pathan singer to save her lover in captivity. In the film Actress, she plays the buxom belly to Rehana's lean, banka or bow put on, and several stills of this couple were used to publicize the film before its release. It's this image with Rehana and Meena, and this was... This was perhaps the most common image that was used to publicize this film. The excess in Meena's body was not grotesque in terms of a deviation from a norm, as Mary Russo calls it, but significantly in a lack of consciousness in deploying it. 
actively incognizant of the restriction placed on women's bodies, Meena's masculine disguise and feminine masquerade suggests an active embrace of making a spectacle of oneself, a specifically feminine danger. It also stood in opposition to the deliberate erasures visited upon her historical underside, the abducted woman. And I'll just conclude uh, now and say that the relationship between Mina Star trajectory and partition does not merely involve a historical passage that, in, that produces inflection and leaves, its and leaves its trace. It reveals an active negotiation a contestation and a repurposed stardom in the discursive possibilities enabled by the division. It is here that her performance provides not just an alternative archive, but also more crucially a radical register to access women's experience of partition that is audacious enough to indicate an abduction and unshackling abandon. Flitting between communities and nations, there is an unmistakable shadow of the abducted woman in Mina's transgressive star image. At the same time, her performance in Shori comedies reveals an imagination that seizes this shadow to reflect on paternalistic rescue as a form of entrapment and what a true release could look like. It could be, as the Shori comedies insouciantly suggest, a plump woman's downhill, downhill dash on a railway trolley. <laughs>